This morning, I'd like to share with you a sermon that God laid on my heart. I think it's pertinent to the day. Um, but before we get there, I'd like to share an account of Augustine. Now, some of you remember might remember that Augustine was a great Christian thinker. He was once walking on a beach. He was gazing over the sea. He was greatly perplexed, as he thought, about the doctrine of the Trinity. He couldn't quite get it into his head. And as he meditated, he saw a little boy with a seashell. And this little boy was running to the water, filling his shell, and then pouring it into a hole he had made in the sand. And what are you doing, young man? asked Augustine. Oh, replied the boy, I'm trying to put the ocean into this hole. Augustine learned a lesson. And that is what I'm trying to do. I see it now. Standing on the shores of time, I'm trying to get it into this little finite mind, things which are infinite. Let us be content to know God knows some things which we cannot know. Have you ever spoken to somebody, asked a question, and that person said to you, uh, I don't know. I just don't know. Who knows? And that's why I titled this sermon this morning, who knows? God knows. It's been said that there are three things that only God knows. The beginning of things, the cause of things, and the end of things. The Bible teaches that the universe, not just this planet, that the universe had a beginning. Scientists for years considered the universe eternal and unchanging. It always was. That was what they presented as scientific fact. That was considered back in those days, not too long ago, settled science. Have you ever heard that expression, settled science? Basically what they believed was, science believed not too long ago, that the universe had no beginning and time had no beginning. Uh, excuse me for saying, but I think we know better, right? Because we got the book of beginnings and endings. They were these were considered, as I said, settled science, but those ideas were challenged in the 1990s when the works of scientists such as Albert Einstein, Professor Arthur Eddington, physicist Alexander Friedman, and astronomer Alan Sandage discovered that the universe was expanding. The Hubble telescope actually validated and verified those discoveries. Unintentionally, modern science was revealing the pre-science and accuracy of biblical text written 3,000 years before the father of modern science, Sir Isaac Newton. Imagine that, that this book that we believe could be so accurate about the beginning of time. And it's documented in this book. If science had discovered that there was no beginning, it would question this book. But because the Bible and because God documented, authenticated, and certified it in this book, which is unchangeable, we know that the universe had a beginning. And we know that time has been marked from a beginning. For revelation as to the cause of all things, good and evil, temporal and eternal, we look to the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And as to the end of things, we look to the prophecies in Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. Academics are still juggling with questions of where we came from, why we're here, 
and where are we going and what is life all about? You want the answer to those questions? How about turning the pages of this book? How about opening up the eternal truths of God? How about believing what it says? And you can know that it's true. God alone has the answers to those life-molding questions, and he has revealed all we need to know in response to those questions in his inspired and preserved book, the Bible. The Bible states that God knows all things. Now think about that. All things, everything, from the tiniest grain of sand, let me go even further down, to the tiniest molecule, to the tiniest cell. He knows everything about that, and he knows everything that you could possibly imagine and way beyond. Isaiah 40, 14 says this, with whom took he counsel? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Who wrote this book? God did. And he didn't consult with anybody. So any knowledge and any truths that are revealed in this book come from the mind of God. He alone possesses what I like to call macro vision. He knows all about this great universe. He knows its nooks and crannies. He knows what's inside a black hole. And he knows what makes a shooting star cascade through the inky, inky blackness of the sky. He knows all those things. We're still searching. He alone possesses microvision. He knows the complex structure of a single cell. He knows what triggers cancer cells. He knows the, how the brain learns and retains what it's learned. He knows all that stuff. Isaiah 40, 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, of, the Lord creator of the ends of the earth, fainted not whether he is, is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. That, that expression, the corners of the earth, came from the Bible. We still use it. We still use that expression. It doesn't mean a flat earth. <laughs> it doesn't mean a square earth. It means that from one end of the earth to the other. While science searches the heavens for answers to questions about what's out there in space, land-based and satellite-based satellites reveal the secrets of the Creator's mind. It seems like more and more of our technologies reveal more and more what God said is true. The more we see about our creation through the technology, the more we reveal how God did what God did and validate what it is that God did. And as science searches the invisible world of cells, it's begun to unlock the secrets of the grand designer's information system created and contained in DNA. Your cells are not just little blobs of nothing. They contain millions of pieces of information. God has done the math. We are unlocking the code. God has done the math. It's all about math. And God has done the math, and we are unlocking the code that reveals the secrets to what he has done. No matter how deep and diligent, diligently we dig, we will never know how our, with our infinite minds, nor in our finite minds, nor with the aid of artificial intelligence, all that God knows. We would like to think that we can discover everything. We would like to think we know everything. In our ego and in our adverse, we would like to think that we've got it down pat. And we get that sense as we listen to intelligent people that they got it all down. 
And the reality is we realize they ain't got nothing down. I mean, they can't even tell the difference between a boy and a girl. Ah, I ain't going to go there. I got a fax from Australia years ago, and it kind of demonstrates what human intelligence can accomplish. It's, but it's the blink of an eye in terms of what God can do. Now, listen to this. This is incredible. This fax sent to me in August 14th, 2003. And it comes from, it comes from uh, Australia, Denison Road in Australia, in, uh, let's see, where is it exactly? Tabor College, Victoria, Australia. So listen to this. This is from a professor, John Mark Caper. And here's what he writes. I found the quotation, never forget in the dark what you have learned in the light some years ago in E.M. Blakelock's book, Kathleen. If I recall correctly, he noted he had heard it from a man when he was young. I met Badlock some years ago when he visited Sydney, but never did ask any more about it. Tonight, I did a search to assuage my curiosity and found the quote on your site, on our website. Only It's the only place found in Google for it in the whole. Meantime, can you, oh, can you tell me where it came from? Meantime, may God richly bless your work for his glory and the kingdom's expansion. So I quoted this phrase, which I got from a friend while we were camping. Never forget in the dark what you've learned in the light, because in the dark is when you get scared and you start to forget all this stuff. It's what you learn sitting here when you don't seem to have too many problems. I mean, looking at you, you don't look like you're too perplexed or too, too over, overshadowed with problems. You look like you're almost smiling. Almost. And that's when you learn this stuff. Now the question is, what do you do when you hit the back doors? Well, you probably retain about 10% of what you heard. It's just the way it is. So what am I doing up here? Wasting my time? Here's the reality. Someone said to me, well, you shouldn't, you know, preaching is ridiculous. And the Bible calls it foolishness. Preaching is ridiculous. I mean, people don't remember what you said a week ago or even when they leave the back door. You've often quoted that. So what's the sense of it? And here's the question I would ask in return. It was given to me by a, a, a brother pastor. Ask them the question, what did you eat a week ago on Friday at 12 o'clock? What did you eat a month ago for dinner on a Tuesday night a month ago? And the answer, of course, is going to come back. I don't know what I ate. And the pastor is supposed to answer, yes, but it nourished you. It fed you. It encouraged you. It may have changed how you felt that night. So here it is. I said, never forget in the dark what you've learned in the light from this pulpit here in New, in New Jersey in this little town. And this guy, this professor all the way in Australia picks it up. That's pretty astonishing. And then you say to me, is it possible for God to hear my prayer? How can God hear my prayer when there's millions of prayers? Well, if somebody on a computer can get this one phrase, and this is the only place it was said, then I think that God can do all the things he's promised he can do, which seem miraculous, because it seems pretty miraculous to me. If that's something we can do, can we just imagine what God can do? So God hears your prayers.
And God hears your thoughts. He reads your mind. He knows your heart. He knows how you're feeling this morning. I look at you and think you look okay, but inside some of you may not be okay. 1 John 3.20 says, God knows all things. He knows the future of human history. Acts 15.18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God has a plan, and it's known to him from the beginning of the ages. The Bible is the revelation of that plan. God's plan for the world is known right here in this book. And when you, when you were part of our, uh, our study of the book of Revelation not too long ago, you learned some insights into God's plan for the future of this world. And it was so documented that many of you would say to me, Days later, weeks later, I got so much out of that. It's so easy to see just by turning on the TV that these are the last days. God knew what Adam and Eve would do with their choice in the garden. He knew Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would stand firm against an unjust and ungodly law. He knew Judas would betray Jesus. He knew Rome would collapse under its own weight and corruption. He knew the allies would defeat Herr Hitler. He, he has given the outcome over man's free choices, and God knows that we usually make poor choices. What are the consequences of... It seems in our day that there are no consequences to bad behavior. It seems like anybody on a certain level can get away with just about everything and anything. As if there is no accountability, I want to tell you, there will be accountability. It will be for the entire universe. It will be for everybody, high and low. Nobody will escape because God sees it all. Amen? God sees what's going on, sees the corruption that's going on. You're not fooling him, whoever you are out there listening in. You're not fooling God. You think you can. You can blast him if you like. But when you get to hell, that blast is going to be even worse for you. God knows his creation intimately. Psalm 147.4 He knows the number of the stars and calls them all by name. Science once tried to number the stars. And you know what they found out? They couldn't do it. There's more out there, but the Bible said God's got a name. There's some guy who must have picked up on that, and he created a website where for, how, I don't know how many dollars, you can have a star named after you. How many of you fell for that? <laughs> I hope he can find it again. What's he got, little markers on it? Oh, this is Joe's. <laughs> this is, I don't think so. Matthew 10, 29. The Bible says he knows when a sparrow falls. Imagine his consternation and sorrow when he sees a bird covered with oil waste suffocating to death. Luke 12, 7, he says, but even the very number of hairs on your head are all numbered. What does that tell you? He's good at subtraction. He knows all about this electromechanical, chemical, mechanical wonder called the Bible. The, the body, close. He knows how we move. He knows how we rest. He knows how we hear how we see, and how we think. He knows all of that. God knows all things. He knows the future. And most interestingly, he knows you. 
Yeah, you. One of a couple of billion people on this planet. One of many billions who have existed up until this year and this moment. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows your pain and your sorrow. Some always say, well, so what? What about it? What does God mean to me? And what does the fact that God knows everything mean to me? Exodus 3, verse 7 says this, And the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. We live in a fallen world. Life's not fair. Life doesn't always go the way we hoped it would or dreamed it would. Our life is not linear. It takes many different, different roads and many different paths. We wish sometimes it was a straight line, but it's not. It's got twists and turns. You don't know what's right around the corner. You don't know what news follows when you leave this place. You know not what joys or what sorrows await you, but there is a constant, and that constant is your relationship with the Lord. What have you to fear? What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of God and Jesus. You may be going through a period of affliction, a time of satanic attack, a time of grieving, a time of bitter tears, or disillusion and discouragement, time of anger and despair, time of change. We hate it. People hate change. And oftentimes change breeds confusion. A time of loss and loneliness, a time of gnawing and agonizing pain. These are human events. These are human frailties. These are moments in every human being's life. This list pertains to you, either in the past or in the present or in the future. This is our life. This is how it's lived. We just don't know, but God does. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures. That's all he has to do. We're not distracted. We're doing pretty good. He speaks to us in our conscience when things aren't going right or when we're doing wrong. But he shouts to us in our pain because we're so distracted by it that we take our mind off of him and he's got to do something to get our attention. Jesus cares about you. He will see you through. Help is on the way. Don't give up. Hold on to his promises. Trust him. Do you trust him? He's promised to keep his promises. No human being can do that. God is not a man that he can lie. He made a promise, not that everything would go fine, not that everything would be beautiful, not that everything would go the way you hoped, not that there would be no problems. In fact, he warned us, in this world you will have trouble. But, I love it, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But I'll never abandon you when you go through those times. But I'll be by your side. I'll help you get through. I'll help you get through today, one day at a time. Do you believe that? Can I have an amen? Because if you really believe that, it will change how you go through that last list I wrote out and shared with you. 
I'd like to read Psalm 46, verses 1 to 5, and I'd like you to think about it as I read it. I'm going to go slowly. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 10 to 11. Think about what it means. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there right now for you. He's there when you leave this place and trouble waits for you at your door. He'll be there. In fact, he's waiting at your door now in anticipation. Verse 2. Therefore, we will not what? What? We will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, when your whole world turns upside down, when you feel like it's over, when you feel like you won't be able to get your head out of the dust of what's fallen on top of you, when you feel like there's no one you can turn to, no one to help you, no one who cares, God cares. Jesus cares. Four, there's a river. The streams whereof shall be glad shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. There is a foundational truth that will never be shaken, and that's the truth, that God loves you, and that Jesus cares for you, and that he's going to be there to hold you up. He is the only one in heaven with scars. You won't have them. Not physical, not emotional. He's the only one in heaven who has scars, the scars that we gave him when we crucified him. He knows what it means to be in pain. He knows what it means to feel alone. He experienced that on the cross. He knows what it means to be abandoned by the people who are closest to him for three years and before that. Even his family abandoned him. He knows all of those negative possibilities because for him they were realities and they from time to time can be realities for you. Verse 10, what do we do about all that? Listen, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. Be quiet. Listen to the words of Scripture. Listen to the Holy Spirit who will remind you in those moments when you're at your wit's end or you feel like you're going to go over the edge, God is there. If you feel like you're going to fall over the edge into a pit, can I tell you who'll be down there when you get there? Jesus. His Spirit will be with you in all times and in all ways. You see... God knows everything, and God knows you. But here's an even bigger question. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you're listening to me over the telephone, or you're watching over the Internet, or you're here this morning, I know some of you for many, many years, and in my heart I believe you know Christ as Savior. But I would be remiss after telling you that God knows everything and he knows you and cares for you and knows you intimately, whether or not you've received him as Savior is between you and him. 
So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you given your heart over to him? The day is coming when you're going to find trouble. And you're going to want to turn to somebody. If you know Christ, you know where to turn. If you don't, who are you going to call? Father God, we thank you for a time that we could contemplate. Think about these things. We don't lead with our emotions all the time. We don't go into areas where we know everything. Sometimes we get into dark places. In our mind, in our thinking, in our sense of reality, in our sense of right or wrong. But this morning, Father, I pray your word has opened up to our mind that you know us intimately and you love us unconditionally. So now, Father, if there be anyone here listening to the sound of my voice who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, I pray that they would pray a simple, pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I know that I don't have a relationship with you. I know that I've sinned. I pray your forgiveness. I pray that you would clean my heart and my mind. I pray that you would come into my heart. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you shed your blood for the, for the forgiveness of my sin. I believe that you were in the grave for three days. And I believe you rose again after three days and sit, and sit at the right hand of Father God. I pray this morning that you would come into my heart. I pray that I would start a relationship with you that will never end. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Help me to live my life as a Christian. Amen and amen.